Hey, thanks for listening to the CMC podcast. My name is Noah Tice, and I'm the media director here at CMC. And before we get into our message, I just wanted to plug our young adult ministry, Applied Life Leaders Academy. If you've been listening to us for any amount of time, you'll know that CMC is always about the next generation of leaders. And so Applied Life Leaders Academy has been a major part of our mission for over 37 years. As an alumni of the program, I can tell you that if you know a young person with a call of leadership on their life who has a desire to grow in their personal purpose and ministry, Applied Life is a perfect fit. And for more information, visit AppliedLife.com and follow us on all social media platforms at Applied Life Leaders Academy. And now for a sermon by Pastor Josh Barnett. Well, open your Bibles. Let's go to 1 Kings 17. Let's jump right in and talk about Elijah and Elisha. Just to give you a little backdrop here, uh, we're about seven generations from uh, King David. Uh, we're about five generations from Solomon. And uh, from Solomon on, the nation of Israel's and the kings, they just get more and more and more evil. Uh, it's not good. Solomon uh, leads them in. Well, you could, I guess you could say that David led into it first, but Solomon begins to lead him into it. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, he begins to marry all these wives and have all these concubines, and they turn his heart away from the Lord. Um, and be, he begins to set up uh, temples to Asherah and Baal. And they begin to worship Baal, Ashereth, and Molech. <laughs> and it's actually, it's kind of crazy if you look at the way they worship these gods. A lot of it uh, resembles a lot of the craziness that's going on nowadays in our culture. Um, he, uh, he marries uh, the most evil woman in history, uh, Jezebel. Uh, her dad was a king, the king of Sidon, and he actually was even a high priest of Ashereth. And uh, they, they begin to set up these temples. They begin to shut down churches. They begin to kill the priests and hunt the prophets. And um, so you see a lot of craziness happening and the whole nation has turned away from God. And at one point, God even says that there's only 7,000 people that remain in the whole nation that have not bowed their knee to one of these false gods. And the worship of these gods was nasty and perverse. It involved a lot of sexually explicit things that I don't even want to discuss that I will blush talking about. Um, and then whenever they became pregnant from this sexually explicit activity, uh, they would then sacrifice their babies to these gods. Um, and so it was just nasty and gross and disgusting. Um, you even see uh, if you wanted to be, <clears throat> if, you, if a man wanted to be a priest of uh, Asherah, he would have to become a eunuch. Um, and so you even see a lot of different gender things that are playing out nowadays. And you see a lot of the, the sacrificing of babies. You see it playing out nowadays in abortion and just different craziness going on in our culture today. And honestly, a lot of it has just repeated in cycles of history. Um, it's, you've just seen it over and over and over again. And you can actually tie uh, these different, the, the uh, Baal and Ashereth who had this weird sexual relationship. They're demons is what they are. It's demonic demons, and you can actually see them play out in different cultures, that go, and they go by different names. Um, and so you, you've got a lot of uh, uh, crazy stuff going on, but then you get to 1 Kings 17. You get to 1 Kings 17, and uh, some translations start with, and Elijah, or now Elijah, and, and, and this is the only 
backstory we get of him. You've got all this evil that's going on. You've got King Ahab, who's the most evil king in the history of Israel. Actually, later on, it says that he sold himself to do more evil than any of the other kings before him. So my guy literally has not only married a nasty, evil, horrible woman, uh, but he has also sold his soul to the devil, basically. Um, and you could say that about a lot of things uh, going on in, with our politicians right now. Also, like, <laughs> I think sometimes we're like, man, like, you know, this current administration, we can't even make it four years. Uh, before Elijah steps onto the scene, uh, King Ahab had been in power for 22 years. So can you imagine putting up with this nonsense we're going on with right now for not just four years, but 22 years? Um, would it be absolutely crazy? Um, but I love, uh, so it says, now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. And I, I love that, that like first, dude, who are you, first of all? We've never even seen you or heard of you before. Like what in the world? And all of a sudden he has an audience with the king. And it's interesting too, because he, he's a Tishbite from Gilead, if you, if you do a study of Israel's, uh, their, their um, I don't know what the word is, the, the, top, the, the geography of the land, basically, my guy's coming out of the woods. He's coming out of the mountains. So God raised up a redneck prophet uh, to come out and call out, I mean, literally like he comes from, uh, he, he comes from a wilderness basically. And his first thing, he comes straight to the king, the ruler of the land and says, it's not going to rain. There's not going to be any dew or anything until I give the word, which is fascinating to me because the, because the, the, uh, the demon God Baal that everybody was worshiping, he was the God of rain. Like that was one of his main things is he was the God of rain. And so, so God raises up this prophet to approach this politician and immediately begins to pick a fight with the demon, with the demon God that they're bowing down to. And he's saying, it's not going to rain. I know that you serve this, this God of rain and storms and all this stuff, but it's, it's not going to, which is really, I think it's fascinating to me. That's the first thing that we see. And so, um, uh, so you think about, uh, Elijah would just, he would have been really rough around the edges. A couple weeks ago, I preached on John the Baptist. John the Baptist, uh, lived, that, that, was, that was Elijah. That's why I said that John the Baptist was coming in the spirit of Elijah is because, you, so when you think about John the Baptist, you also got to think about that Elijah was the same way. Elijah also was known to be very hairy. Uh, he just wore nasty clothes uh, like John the Baptist did and dude lived out in the woods. Has anybody ever seen that show? Um, anybody ever seen the show Alone? where they drop people off in the wilderness, like Northern Canada. It's like 10 people and they have to live alone for like a hundred days or something, or most of them don't make it, but a few days. Um, and then they get, they get pulled out this. That was his life. That's how he lived. I mean, he would have whooped all those guys. He would win every single season because that's just what he did. So from there, God, God has him uh, go uh, to go out into the wilderness again, leave the king. And then he begins to be fed by uh, ravens. He, uh, so God is, begins to supernaturally uh, provide for him there. Um, I think this is really cool. Elijah's name uh, means Yahweh is my God or Jehovah is my God. Also can mean that Yahweh or Jehovah is my strength. And so when it says, and Elijah shows up to Ahab, now Elijah shows up to Ahab. When they hear his name, Elijah, they would immediately know your name means that God is with you, that God is your strength that you are, and it also really could mean nowadays, type and shadow for us is I'm spirit filled. I'm spirit filled. 
the God, the real God, Yahweh, is with me. And, and, I, and I wanna show you this to start off with because James 5, verses 17 and 18 says, Elijah was a man just like me. Elijah was a man just like me. And it says, and he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed earnestly and, it be, and rain began to fall again. And so what does that show about us? This man under an inferior covenant who was able to stand up to an evil king and his evil queen of a whole nation and pray and rain not fall, Elijah was a man just like me. How, how much should that encourage us of how powerful our prayers can be when God is our strength, when Yahweh is our God and he is on our side? Good point, Josh, thank you for that, that's, that's huge. This would immediately made Elijah famous though, because he immediately came onto the scene to challenge, uh, to challenge him, uh, to challenge King Ahab, and then he has to go, <laughs> he has to go, it's funny too, because nowadays in our culture, a lot of times we just want the limelight, we just want the stage, we just want the microphone, we just want these things, and the first, his first meeting is with the king. Like, can you imagine your first meeting that God calls you into? It's like you get to meet with the president. Like, that's huge. <clears throat> that, would, that would be wild. But then or as soon as that, okay, I know you just met with the king, buddy, but now I need you to go in the wilderness and I'm gonna feed you, I'm gonna feed you with unclean birds. <laughs> and then he has to go, he actually goes from there. In ver we're not gonna read it for sake of time because there's, there's just so much here. But in verse, verses eight through 24, he actually goes and stays with a Gentile woman a Gentile widow in Zarephath. And uh, he goes into her home and he asks her for bread and water. And if you read the story, she barely has enough for herself. She actually says that she was gonna make their last meal and then die. But he says, if you make this meal for me, God promises that you will always have enough. You will always have enough. And this is so cool how God uses prophets. He uses his people to not only speak to kings, but also to go to the people that are forgotten about. And so he goes to this widow and says, if you'll trust in the Lord, if you'll be obedient, he will always bring you more than enough. Now, this happens, her, they, they make it and they have enough food, but then her son dies. <laughs> and uh, which, is, which is wild because once they would have been saved, once they would have had enough food, then she would have thought, okay, now my son can take care of me. But then he dies and uh, which uh, I wanna just point out to you, Elijah, and I guess prof prophets a lot of times too, um, if you have a prophetic gifting, we can be a little dramatic. And uh, we see that in Elijah's story, he's a little dramatic. You look in verse, uh, verse 20, he says, then Elijah cried out to the Lord, oh Lord my God, why have you brought this tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And then he stretched himself over the child three times, cried out, Lord, and uh, the boy ends up living again. And there's, there's actually some really cool types and shadows in here too, um, because in this story, we're the widow, Elijah is the father, the son is Jesus. Because, of the, because the son would have been the widow's redemption. When he becomes old enough, he would provide for his mother. Without him, she's doomed. Elijah raises him from the dead, just like God raised his son, Jesus from the dead to take care of us who was the widow without our bridegroom. It's pretty neat type and shadow there, I think so. Uh, then you go to um, Elijah's most popular story that there's been countless sermons preached uh, is the contest at Mount Carmel in, uh, in, in chapter 18. And 
And it's, ver- it's verse 1 through 40, and it's quite a bit. We're just going to read a couple verses from it, but this is probably the most famous story we're going to look at tonight. This is Elijah's peak moment. So he had Ahab, then he had to go into the wilderness, be fed by unclean birds, and then he had to go be with a Gentile woman, which to the us, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But for a Jewish man, that would have not been cool. That would have been kind of weird for him. So um, that would have not been something normal. Um, so he's, he, he has this moment. He grew up in the wilderness. And, and, I, and I want us to see that all of those moments where we are seemingly hidden, God is training us for something. He's training us to put us in the big moment. He's training us to put us on the stage. He's developing us. He's taking us through a process. Elijah had to learn how to depend on God in the small moments to have faith for the big moments. We have to learn how to depend on God in the small moments to uh, know how to have faith in the big moments, okay? So you get to um, this Basically, Elijah comes to Ahab and says that he is going to, um, he tells him that God is going to send rain soon, but before that, we're going to have a challenge. We're going to have a duel, your God against my God, and get all your prophets, get them together, get two bulls. We're going to set up some altars and sacrifices, bring your 850 pagan prophets, and we're going to see. And he also says, bring all of Israel, which is crazy to me. I'm just thinking about like, how long is this going to take? This is like, you're gathering a whole bunch of people, 850 prophets, all of Israel. We're all gathering on this mountaintop to have this showdown. And um, if you look in verse uh, 16, are y'all with me? Is this too fast? Okay. Keep up, guys. Class, pay attention. Verse 16. <laughs> so Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I love that. I love that he gets called the trouble. They've only met one other time, but he's been hearing about, like obviously they haven't had any rain for like three and a half years. You're the troublemaker. And listen, God raises up troublemakers. When there are people that are causing trouble for a nation, trouble for a people of God, someone who has shut down church, someone who has killed the priest, killed the prophets, someone who is after God, who, who is trying to destroy God's will, he will raise up people to cause trouble in those people's lives. I want to be a troublemaker for God. I want to cause a ruckus. That's, and I, that's what John the Baptist was too. John the Baptist was this wild man that began to cause trouble for the Romans, began to cause trouble for the religious system. And here it is, Elijah. But he just points right back to him. I've made no trouble for Israel. Elijah replied, you and your family are the troublemakers. You have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshiped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all of Israel. Join me at Mount Carmel with your 450 prophets of Baal, your 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel. So he does this. Verse 20 through 24 is the challenge, and uh, they're going to do this. And uh, <laughs> I love in, in uh, verse 25, then Elijah, because they're, they're, uh, they're trying to call down fire. Elijah said to the prophets, you go first. There's so many of you. Choose one of your bulls. Prepare it. Call in the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, placed on the altar. They called the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they made. About noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. I love this guy. For your, surely he is a God. Perhaps he's daydreaming or relieving himself. <laughs> Maybe he's away on a trip or asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder. Following their normal customs, they cut themselves with knives and swords until blood gushed out. 
They raved all afternoon until the time of evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no reply, no response, which is just fascinating. I love this. Like, and, and, and like these people are absolutely acting foolish and we see this playing out now. We're like, well, I can't imagine anybody cutting, them, cutting themselves. There are people that are literally cutting body parts off of themselves right now in worship of they think themselves where they have made themselves God. But it's just, it, it, is, it is crazy to me how foolish our culture and our society has gotten. But I love that Elijah here is just, he just talks trash to him. <laughs> um, but, and listen, we've all done the same things. We have all, uh, we, we, have, we were all enemies of God. We have all gotten into our sin. We have all gone hard and fast after our sin. And oftentimes before repentance takes place, we try even more. We go even harder and further after it, trying to depend on something. And it always lets us down. It never comes through for us. Look in verse 30, then Elijah called his people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent the each to represent the tribes of Israel, used them to repair the altar. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, laid the pieces. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing when they were finished, he said, do it a third time. So they did as he said, and water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Oftentimes this is easy to overlook, but remember it has not rained for three and a half years. Where did the water come from? How hard would that have been to find? How, like we get like right now, like, you know, the, 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 the season that we've been in, we're like, dear God, please stop the rain. Like it is rain. It, it has rained so much. Like I think my, it hadn't rained in two weeks and I think my grass is still muddy. Like it has been just nonstop rain, rain, rain all winter long is the rainiest winter season I have ever seen. And then it was all, it's just been rain in the spring too, which is normal. But, uh, but I know like come July and August, like we'll go two weeks in the, you know, 90 to hundred degree heat scorching sun and I'll be like, God, send the rain. Like, please send the rain. Can you imagine three and a half years of no rain? Like it doesn't rain for a couple weeks in July and it's a dust bowl. It's a desert, a wilderness around here. All of our grasses, all our grass dies, it's scorched and people are crying for rain. But can you imagine three and a half years? And then Elijah says, Hey, go get all this water and don't just do it once. Don't just do it twice. Do it three times. Like that's precious water that we need, bro. And you're going to you're gonna ask us to give that up? What a sacrifice it would have been to pour that water on the altar. But we've gotta know that following God costs us everything that we are. We have to surrender all of it, even our most valuable resource, we have to surrender to him. And listen, I love this too, because the water, remember there's types and shadows all through this, the water on the altar, the water that they're pouring on, get remember, he's coming in the spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist, what did he do? Baptizing in water baptizing in water. And I so see like how costly that water would be. But whenever there's a baptism or repentance that takes place, we have to lay down our entire lives. Y'all tracking with me. Y'all see this types in shadow here. And then what does John the Baptist say? There's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. What's he going to baptize in? In fire, right? <laughs> in fire. So let's look at this. Verse 36. The usual time, the offering, the evening sacrifice, he walked up to the altar, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I've done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, fire fell 
<laughs> the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. And they took them into the Kishon Valley and he killed all of them. Amen. Glory to God. And then I love verse 41. Yeah, verse 41, then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. I think that's just like an epic, like hero to villain line. Like, get yourself ready, dude. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah, it's that mic drop moment of like, get yourself ready. It's so cool to see this fire fall. And like this to us, like we, we get baptized in that fire. First the water, then the fire. This is all just a, a symbol of, of, of baptism. Of, of salvation, what God does in our lives. Um, and, and, and man, this is, what, this is what our life should be because he says, let these people see that you are God. This is what our life should be is that people should look at us and know that God is real. They should see us burning for him. And then listen, like we don't just, once repentance and salvation and all these things take place in our life, we don't allow the false prophets to hang around. You gotta take them down in the valley and kill them. You gotta go into the bedroom and say, I'm not leaving until this sin is done. And I'm not gonna, because you leave them alive, then you're just, you're just gonna leave the door open for the devil, then real repentance hasn't taken place. But Elijah was trying to make sure that the nation would not fall back into idolatry. And, and again, Elijah, John the, think John the Baptist. John the Baptist was preparing the way. Preparing the way for who? For the Messiah. Elijah was fiery and he was wily and he was crazy, but he was preparing the way for the one who would succeed him, which we're going to see in just a minute. Are y'all with me? Y'all quiet. Quiet. We need some more Pentecostals in the house. <laughs> When you get to verse 41 through 46, Elijah begins to pray for rain. And he actually sends his servant to run and look for rain each time. Has him run seven times. And, and, and each time he's believing that it's going to happen. And that's how we're called to pray. We're supposed to be fervent in prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Don't stop asking. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop knocking until you see it come to pass. Until you see it happen. That there's like this desperation that takes place that we, we earnestly desire for prayer to be answered. And that's what he does. He doesn't just send a servant one time like, oh, well, I guess it's not coming. No, he said, I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. And so he sends his servant back and forth and back and forth. And he stays in that place of prayer until that he sees that the servant comes and sees that wisp of cloud. And he's like, I'm going to tell Ahab. And then he girds up his loins and he runs faster than a chariot, which is awesome. He's just... What a mountain man, dude. Just like, I love this guy. I love Elijah. He's so fiery. But uh, <laughs> I think sometimes we often give up too soon. We often give up too soon. Well, God didn't hear my prayer. He didn't answer me. The healing didn't come right away. The breakthrough didn't come right away. The person wasn't saved right away. My finances weren't fixed right away. My life wasn't fixed right away. My hurt didn't go away right away. So we just give up, man. I was uh, with my family last night. We were watching The Chosen. We were watching the, uh, in season three, when, uh, the woman with the issue of blood. For 12 years, she was bleeding. For 12 years. She didn't give up. She persisted. 
until she could touch that garment. Don't give up. Be fervent in prayer. Have that faith like Elijah. Last thing I want to end with Elijah, there's so many stories that we could talk about, but I want to, in chapter 19, <laughs> Ahab comes home and, and uh, he's just, Ahab, Ahab, just re- Ahab to me, he represents just passive men, just like, just a baby. He is, he's such a sissy, he's such a wuss. And then obviously um, Jezebel is, uh, Jezebel's so nasty, they talk about her in Revelation. And actually, uh, uh, Jesus rebukes the church in Revelation for even tolerating the spirit of Jezebel. Tolerating the spirit of Jezebel. And anytime you see, anytime we see the spirit of Jezebel taking place in culture, remember who she was a priestess of, anytime we see Jezebel take place in culture, there's always explicit sexual immorality happening. And, G- and Jesus rebuked that church and said, I'm going to snuff out your lampstand if you consider, if you still tolerate her, right? And what's the big cry been for the last 30 years is tolerance. Tolerance is sinful. We are not called to tolerate sin. We're not called to tolerate sin. We're called to call it out. I think I got you fired up right there. There we go. We're not called, we're not called to tolerate sin. We're called to call it out. We're called unto repentance, not tolerance. So anyway, Jezebel hears this. She swears to kill him. She's already killed a bunch of prophets. She's already torn down the churches. She's already closed them. She's already shut up. Uh, she's already closed up shop. And my guy gets scared and runs away. Elijah gets scared. After what he, dude, you just killed 850 men and you're scared of one woman. But so has the church been over the years. We let one woman take prayer out of school. I've seen the spirit of Jezebel destroy churches. I've seen the spirit of Jezebel destroy marriages, destroy homes, destroy businesses, destroy communities. We don't tolerate it. We call it out. We call it out. He gets scared. He runs away. This often happens. Uh, you may have heard it called the Elijah syndrome. A lot of times when people have a mountaintop faith moment, then they like, when they get off that, like I've seen it happen to preachers a lot where, and even experienced it myself, some where you have like a, you've got a big conference, big breakthrough people get healed, people get saved, people get delivered. And then, and then you step off the stage and you realize it's lonely off there. And oftentimes we get this peak mountaintop moment, incredible. Some people, somebody laid hands and prayed for me. Well, now I got to go home and now I got to look myself in the mirror. And a lot of times we can take on this depressed, moody state of like, I'm the only one. Nobody else loves the Lord but me. That's what he did. He went and hid in the cave and he was scared and, and, uh, and was afraid and was running for his life. And, and actually uh, God comes to him and uh, uh, most of us heard the story, obviously the earthquake comes and the windstorm comes and the fire comes and God's not in any of them. And then how does he come? In a whisper, right? He comes in a whisper and he begins to talk to him. And that's oftentimes how God wants to speak to us. It's not through big magnificent moments, but oftentimes in a whisper. And why does he speak in a whisper? He speaks in a whisper so that we lean into him, so that we lean in. He he wants us to get close to hear him. He wants us to get close to hear him. I think oftentimes we're looking for these big miraculous signs and wonders, but God oftentimes wants you to get in your car or in your prayer closet and shut the door and shut everything else off and leave your phone in the other room and lean in for the whisper. Oftentimes we're too distracted by that, but but I wanna encourage you, lean into the whisper, get quiet, be still and know that I am God is what Psalms 46.10 said. And that's what Elijah had to do. 
He was full of fear and anxiety and all of these things. And he had seen God move in powerful ways, but he came off that mountain. He goes into a cave and he's hiding. And the Lord comes and says, Lord comes in a small whisper. He's like, bro, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm the only one. Nobody else loves the Lord. And now Jezebel's going to kill me. And he's like, dude, he said, I've got 7,000 other people. I've got 7,000 people who have not bowed their knee. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. And then he, starts giving, then he starts giving him instructions. I want you to go to anoint this guy. I want you to go to anoint this guy. And then I want you to go, which we're going to move to now. I want you to go find your successor. I want you to go find Elisha, which Elisha is really cool. So look, in, uh, look at the end of chapter 19. Y'all with me, class? All right, so we just talked about Elijah. Do we need to review? I don't think we have time. Have to go back and watch it later. There will be a test on Sunday. Verse 19, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing the 12th team. Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after him, and said, let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye, and I will go with you. Elijah said, go back, but think, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen, slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh, passed around the meat to the townspeople. They all ate, and then he went to be Elisha's assistant. Throwing the cloak on him would have been symbolic. Elisha would have known who he was. Everybody would have known who he was by this time. Eli this, but this was a symbolic. This would have been a symbol of his prophetic authority that he was going to pass on to Elisha. This was a call for Elisha to join in Elijah's work as a prophet. And, and, and I love that he says, go think about it. Go think about it. Go count the cost before you do it. And not only does he go count the cost, he goes and burns everything that he had so he has nothing to come back to. Which I love that because I, I think about Jesus calling his disciples to follow him. So again, we see type and shadow here of, uh, of Jesus and us too. It's like he, he tells us to count the cost. And he also tells us like, you, you can't go back to what you had before. I love, I love even with like uh, uh, James and John left their dad in a boat. I love that Matthew walked off the job, would have never had a job to go back to. That's, that is the way that we follow Christ is that we, we ensure that we've got nothing to go back to, that we are all in. And that's what Elisha was saying is like, I want to be your successor. And so I'm going all in. And, and many people, uh, many scholars, you kind of try to pick apart and see how long did he follow. Elisha was under, he was Elijah's assistant from anywhere from like six to 10 years and would have been a full grown man already. And, and I, and I want to see this too. It's like everybody's story is different because Elijah just walked out of the woods and was all, all of a sudden somebody. But then Elisha had to come underneath spiritual authority for 10 years and wait and watch and wait and watch and wait and watch. And most people aren't willing to do that, but Elisha was. Elisha was, which I think is really cool. <clears throat> when you go to um, uh, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, you have the story about when Elijah gets taken to heaven, right? The, the fiery chariot comes down. And uh, it's really cool because at this point now, many, it's about 10 years have passed, and Elijah has set up these schools of prophets all over the nation, which is neat because what was outlawed, like basically Christianity almost had gotten outlawed. Churches shut down, prophets killed, priests killed, no temple worship. We're only worshiping false gods. And Elijah comes in and he challenges all that. And he enacts judgment on those types of things. And then he begins upsetting schools of ministry, which is so cool. And Elijah, Elisha is his number one guy, but all the schools of prophets are coming in like, hey, you know, your master is going to be taken today, which is crazy. Like, I never think about that sometimes is that they were all aware 
that he was about to be taken. See, all the people had this prophetic insight of like something is transitioning, something is happening. And you even see this with John the Baptist and Jesus because John the Baptist said, he must become more and more and I must become less and less. And so the people were able to prophetically discern like there is a transition happening. And, and even with the old covenant and the new, sorry, I'm nerding out on you right now. The old covenant and the new covenant, there was an overlapping of the age that was taking place, but people were seeing something is changing. Something is being made new. And Elijah is like, of course I know. And so he follows him. Elijah's like, hey, no, stay here. Stay here, don't come with me. And he's like, no, I wanna be with you. And hey, it, while I'm with, if you're taken while I'm with you, I want a double portion of your anointing. I want a double portion of your anointing. And, and, and I want you to know, he didn't ask that out of like a prideful motive. Elisha had a heart for the Lord like Elijah did. And he just wanted to see the work of God continue to increase continue to increase. And Elijah was okay with that. Just like I talked about Miss Hedy Lou Brooks about, uh, we had talked about a couple Sundays ago that the next 50 is gonna be a double portion of the first 50. Well, of course she wants that to happen. Of course she, Elijah didn't look at him jealously and say like, no, you can't do that. I don't want you to walk in that. He wanted Elisha to walk in that. Just how I know Miss Hedy Lou and Tim and Paul, like they want the next generation to carry this thing further than even they did and do double what they did. And so I think this is really cool and something, um, uh, I, that we see playing out in here that I think is really neat. And then obviously he got taken in the chariot of fire. And then uh, uh, it's neat, man. It's so cool. There's so many types and shadows from John the Baptist to Jesus because John the Baptist was preparing the way. He was the fiery one. He was the one, remember he called out the Pharisees, the religious system. Remember he got, a, he got his head cut off because he called out the politics of the day. He called out uh, King Herod. And, and, and you have the same thing with Elijah doing those things preparing the way and Elisha, like his ministry was way different than Elijah's. Elijah's first miracle, I guess you could say, is he prayed that the rain would stop and it stopped for three and a half years. Elisha's first miracle is that he took the bitter water of Jericho and made it drinkable for the people again. And so like you see this wilderness turning into an oasis, just like with John the Baptist and Jesus, just like the old covenant and the new covenant. Are y'all tracking with me? Am I nerding out on my own up here? Does anybody else appreciate the word of God? I think it's absolutely, it's incredible. It's absolutely, it's awesome. Um, and then it's funny too, because then Elisha is on the way. He's on the way to a religious, uh, 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 he, he's on the way to Jericho. And uh, these uh, 42 young men <laughs> come out and they're calling him Baldy um, and making fun of him. And uh, which I would never make fun of the guys over me. I would never call Paul or Tim Baldy. Never, ever, ever, ever would I do that. Um, but the reason why is because I don't want bears to come out of the woods and maul me. Um, because Eli Elisha removes the blessing of God and a, and a curse falls in them. And it says that two mother bears come out of the woods and mauls 42 of them, which is, wow, that's wild to me. Um, uh, so his first two miracles, he purifies water. He shows God's kindness. God cares about physical needs. Then with the bears, he shows God's vengeance, teaching us that we're actually supposed to respect and obey those who are over us. We're supposed to obey our spiritual leaders. And, and really God was establishing like, hey, this is, this is my new covenant. This is like, this is an, an intense warning of like, this is my, this is my man. Don't touch him. This is my guy. Don't touch him. You see this happen in Acts. New covenant, you've got Ananias and Sapphira that try to take advantage of the church and the, it says the Holy Spirit kills them. God doesn't kill pe people. Yeah. 
He does. It's not his will that any should perish, like he doesn't want to, but he did that because he was establishing something new and he was saying, you better take your hands off of this because this is my new way. This is my new man. This is my new covenant. This is how I'm doing things now. Um, Elisha's story is, is way different than Elijah's um, because Elijah was a man of the wilderness. Uh, Elisha seemed to like the indoors. He's, he's kind of he's my guy. Like, I want to be inside, you know. I'm not, you know, I, I like to hunt and fish every now and then, but not all the time. I'm glad Don Brooks paved the way for a lot of the stuff because I don't necessarily want to, I don't want to do it. Um, <laughs> not that it's bad, but Elisha, he enjoyed the life a little bit. He actually, in chapter four of Second Kings, he had a, the woman from Shunem uh, actually built uh, uh, like a room for him and his servant to stay in, to live in, and she would feed him there and all the, and, it, and so like, he's kind of living it up. And even where he was from, like it, father Shaphat with all of these teams of oxen and this huge farm, uh, my guy was living it up. Like he was living the good life and, uh, and compare and contrast that to the man, Elijah in the wilderness. Again, John the Baptist and Jesus, they called John the Baptist a crazy man in the desert eating bugs. And they called Jesus a glutton and a drunk because he was like living it up, right? He was hanging out in, inside and eating meals and feasting, but it's to show the difference in the old covenant and the new covenant. That's so cool. I think it's so cool. Anyway, <laughs> um, another, I, I talked about being, you know, fervent and desperate in prayer because this, uh, this woman of Shunem was so good to Elisha that he said, I can see that you've never had a child and this time next year, you're gonna have a baby. And she was like, no, don't get my hopes up. Don't put that on me. He's like, it's gonna happen. And so they have a kid. Well, then her child, her boy gets sick and dies. And she puts his body in, th in the man's room, in his room, they called it upper room, which is kind of cool. Put him in the room and then she goes to find him. And then when she's on her way, it says that Elisha sees her. So he sends his servant out to meet and she pushes her way past the servant and said, I'm getting to that man who caused this miracle to happen in my womb, who brought this baby in and I'm going. And it literally says that she grabs his feet and she refuses to leave without him. Again, I think of the woman with the issue of blood. I'm pushing my way through the crowd, past the servants, past the disciples, and I'm going to the one who can bring me my breakthrough no matter what it costs. And I'm not leaving here. I think about Moses too. God, I'm not going if you don't go with me. But she had that, I'm getting to the one who can bring my breakthrough. And that's the desperation that we have got to have in prayer. The next thing, if you, in, um, and I, I'm wrapping up here, but I, I just want to point out that uh, just Elisha's compassion and goodness that he continues to show. Because um, in, in chapter five, he heals a man named Naaman who, is an, who would have not been a great guy. Uh, he was the commander in chief of the Syrian army. He had leprosy. Um, and Elisha has him bathe in the river. He has to dip seven times and then he's healed of leprosy. Um, and then from there in chapter six, uh, a lot of people have heard the story. You've heard the story about the floating ax head, like the guy lost his tool and it fell in. It's like, why is he so, why does he care so much about an ax head? Well, he, might, he was probably needy. He was probably poor. He was in, he was in ministry. So, you know, and, and not like, in, you know, and he wasn't working for Elevation Church. He was working for a church in Jesseville, Arkansas. So, you know, like he, he couldn't afford to lose that ax head. And, uh, and so, but Elisha goes and he causes the ax head to float and come back to him. And then from there, he goes and does this amazing, incredible work with the Armenian army. And he, get, he has them uh, become trapped. But it's like you have royalty and then you've got 
uh, just your average everyday man, and then you've got an army. But I, I think it's so cool because you see God, you see Elisha showing God's goodness that he doesn't just care about the important figures, but he also cares about the lowly. He cares, he's no respecter of persons. He cares, about, he cares about every single person. And I love the story about how he traps the Armenian army because uh, they're, they're just, um, <laughs> they're devastating Israel, which Israel brought it on themselves, but they're devastating Israel. But then Elisha begins to get prophetic insight about where the, where the Aram army is going to be and begins to tell the king of Israel. And he's like, every time we try to go fight these guys, they always know what we're doing. And his men say, yeah, it's because of that prophet. It's because of Elisha. He knows what you're even saying in secret in your bedroom, which is really cool, which is really cool because I believe, <laughs> I believe that God will begin to download as he's raising up prophets in our day to deal with all this craziness that's going on, that he gives his supernatural wisdom to his people and even tells them the secrets of the enemy, which is really cool. And so he, he gets this army. They actually go to attack him. They surround him and his servant freaks out and is like, we're gonna die. And he's like, Lord, open his eyes, open his eyes. Show him that greater are those that are for us than those that are against us. And so whenever you, you turn on the false prophets of the news, Fox News and CNN, you turn on those false prophets and you see everything that's going on in a culture and all you see is the bad that's going on or whatever, pray that God show me that those that are for me are greater than those that are against me. In Habakkuk, it says that one day that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The glory of the Lord already covers the earth. We have to come into that the knowledge, we have to come into the knowledge that it covers the earth. It's like, he's got this, he's on my side. Greater are those that are for me than those that are against me. Lord, open my eyes, let me see into the spiritual realm that you have got this taken care of. Oh my goodness, there's just so much that happens. It's incredible. Even when Elisha dies, there's, you just need to go read First and Second Kings. It's absolutely fascinating to see these prophets, right? Even when Elisha dies and gets buried, they, the Moabites, there's raiders and they like throw a body in his tomb and he comes back to life. And it's like, dude's even performing miracles after he's dead. Like, that's crazy. That's so cool. But so should the life of a believer. Like, are we living to set up the next generation that they're even gonna experience breakthrough after you're long gone? I was actually, I was talking about Hetty to, um, to our interns the other day and I was thinking about how many millions of people that Hetty Lou has reached, how many hundreds of thousands has he reached that, has she reached that don't even know her name? Whoa, like wild. See, like, are, like even as we begin to grow older in life, even, as, even when we pass on to be with Jesus, we're still going to be affecting another generation which is really cool. And that's what Elisha did. That's what, oh my gosh, there's so much here. Okay, I'll, I'll just end with this. Elijah was fiery. He confronted idolatry. He confronted the rulers, the kings, the politicians, the false prophets of his day. And he paved the way for God's people to be able to worship again freely and publicly. He was the forerunner of the double portion. We see the spirit of Elijah played out and John the Baptist. Elisha was more mild-mannered he demonstrated God's care for people. He spent a lot less time, not that he didn't have conflict of evil, with evil, but he spent a lot less time in conflict with evil and more time caring for people's needs. Um, he actually performed twice as many miracles as Elijah and his ministry was twice as longer. Why? Because it's a double portion. It's a double portion. 
But I want us to see tonight, we're talking about heroes of faith. How does this apply to me? We're supposed to be like both men. Now, obviously we'll have, you know, we've got some personalities, you know, that differ. Whatever. Some people are gonna be mer- more mercy oriented. Some people are gonna be more, uh, uh, more prophetic in nature. Some people are gonna be more confrontational. Some people are gonna be more um, laid back and easy going. But, 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 but I believe this is that we are called to stand in the face of evil and say, here's, I talked about this on Sunday morning. Here's the line, you can't cross it. We're not supposed to tolerate evil. We as a body of believers, as, as, as God's bridegroom, we don't tolerate Jezebel. We don't tolerate the Ahabs. We let them know this is God's law. This is where we're standing. We take a stand against it. And then like Elisha, we show God's love and compassion to people. So we do both. We take a stand against evil and we show God's love and compassion. Do y'all get something out of this? Stand with me. I know it was a whirlwind. I know it was fast. It's like I was in fast forward the whole time and there's so much in there that we, you know, we obviously can't cover every single thing. But I do want to point out that they gave me two guys to do in one night. So <laughs> it's fun though. It's fun. Um, I think we're wrapping up the series next week. And then the 17th is our, our Esther play. So I'm excited about um, everything that God's doing in our ministry. As we close up this school year, man, golly, we're getting close going to be good. God's doing good things. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this ministry. I thank you so much for these people here tonight. Lord, I ask for your blessing be on them as they leave this place, Lord. Lord, as there's a coming in to gather in joy and worship celebration of you, Lord, that we would be filled up, that we would come in to learn how to be like you. We, and as we go out, we live like you, Lord. We go out and we shine bright for you. Lord, show us the places that we need to take a stand against evil, first in our own hearts, then in our homes, and in our communities and our nation, Lord. Show us how we can be salt and light to the world, God. We surrender our lives to you. We ask that you would baptize us in that Holy Spirit, baptize us in that fire, so that we could be empowered to live like you, talk like you, and walk just like you, Lord. We love you, God. We're so thankful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.